Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Good morning, everybody. Well, we heard earlier from Robbie about some of the costs that he has faced during his life as a Christian. A social isolation by his rugby pals because he didn't want to get involved with some of, of their behaviour. Um, losing his job because of his unwillingness to give up his integrity in the workplace. Forgoing success in the world of sailing because he wanted to focus instead on serving Jesus uh, in the church, in his family and in his business. But as he said, none of those sacrifices compared in any way with the tremendous joy of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. As a young believer, I also was for many years um, unwilling to bear the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Instead, I tried to compromise my faith, and it got me nowhere. Like Robbie, the, the Lord disciplined me in order for me to see that with Jesus, it is all or nothing. And since that time, I too have never looked back. The, the blessings have far outweighed the costs of being a follower of Jesus. There'll be some watching this morning who too have made Jesus the priority in their life and can look back on a life that may not have been without its pain and suffering, but which has been characterized by the joy of Christ and the hope of heaven. There'll be others watching this morning who've decided to, to follow Jesus but are in the middle of a great spiritual battle, finding it hard to surrender everything to him, tempted to put other things or people before him. And there will no doubt be others this morning who are still investigating the Christian faith, wondering whether it's worth becoming a Christian, still counting the cost. Well, wherever you are this morning, I pray that Jesus will speak to you and give you the reassurance that you need, that if you put him first in your life, you will know unending pleasures. So let's pray as we, as we start. The psalmist writes, Whom 
have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, we do pray this morning that you will enable each one of us to say these same words and to believe them in our hearts, that there is nothing we can sacrifice that compares with the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, in the previous passage we looked at last week, Jesus had gone for a meal with a, a prominent Pharisee. And during the meal, Jesus taught uh, that those who humble themselves, who accept that they have nothing to, to offer God, but accept his invitation, will be exalted. Well, those who exalt themselves, who, who reject Jesus' invitation because they're more interested in enjoying their pleasures and belongings, will be humbled when Jesus comes again. Well, Jesus has now moved on from there, and we're told in verse 25 that large crowds were traveling with him. So the teaching here is not just meant for his closest disciples, but for all who are keen to discover who Jesus is and whether it's worth following him. Jesus turns to them and explains what is required of those who would follow him. He's not interested in simply increasing the number of his followers. He wants those who understand the cost and whose commitment is genuine. And so he mentions two things. And the first of those is that being a disciple of Jesus means giving him priority in every area of life. Verse 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, this is a figure of speech. It's hyperbole. It doesn't mean that we should literally hate our close relatives. After all, in other parts of the Bible, we're told to, to respect and honor our parents, to love our wives and children. We're even told to love our enemies. So what he's saying is that our love for our closest family members should be nothing compared to the love we have for Jesus. And in actual fact, the more we love Jesus the more we will be able to love our family. Because he just teaches us to, to love them. Whereas the opposite doesn't work. The more we love our family doesn't automatically mean the more we will love Jesus. Often it actually means we love Jesus less. The sad thing is that although people who choose to follow Jesus still love their families, in some parts of the world their families will reject them. In some cases they are ostracized. In others they may even be killed. We're fortunate there to live in a country where that is unlikely, but it doesn't mean that some families won't be resentful towards those who choose to follow Jesus. What Jesus is saying here is that you cannot be a lukewarm Christian. Your Christian faith cannot simply be a hobby. It cannot be a compartment in your life. It has to affect every area of our lives, including the choice of a marriage partner. Asked a single guy recently, now what are you looking for in, in a wife? And he replied, someone who loves Jesus more than me. But nice if they were good looking as well. Nice but not essential. The most important thing is that she would love Je Jesus first. 
Because if she loved Jesus first, then she would know how to love him as a husband. And likewise, for him to love her fully, he too would need to love Jesus first. Because the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. The most loving thing a husband can do for his wife is to help her to grow in her faith, to become more like Jesus. If we value Jesus more than anything else, then we will want to grow in our love for him. We will look for someone who seeks to help us to do that. Of course, I appreciate that some of you may have become Christians after you got married, in which case I pray that your spouse will see the difference that Jesus has made to your life and will want to follow him for themselves. Jesus says, not only must we love him more than any other family members, but we must love him more than ourselves. It's in our human nature, I think, isn't it, to, to put ourselves first, to do things that please us. How many times do you hear people insisting on their rights? There's not much mention of rights in the Bible. If we follow Christ, then we're fo- called to follow his example and humble ourselves to give up our rights and value others and their interests above ourselves. Working out of that in our daily lives is uh, not something that happens overnight. Uh, It's a gradual process of transformation that starts with a change of attitude. And we we decide we want to follow Jesus, whatever the cost. And Jesus doesn't try and hide that cost in the small print. He's quite clear here that also being a disciple of Jesus means identifying with him in his suffering. Verse 27 says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The expression to carry one's cross refers to those like Jesus who would have carried their cross to their crucifixion, to their death. Jesus has already told his disciples that he must die. That is why he came. If we turn back a couple of chapters to to chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel, verse 21, we read there these words. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus came to earth to give up his life for our sakes. Although he was innocent, he was willing to to take the punishment that we deserved so that those who follow him could be forgiven for their sins and be made right with God and enjoy eternal life with him. We don't need to do anything to to um, earn that gift of eternal life, other than trust Jesus as Saviour and follow him as Lord. But there's a cost attached to it. It means putting Jesus first, as we've seen already, and it means carrying our cross, which means being prepared to suffer for being a Christian. Certainly in Jesus' day, to become a Christian was a risky business, and it often meant the loss of your life. For Christians in some countries today, it may mean death. Five years ago, ISIS captured 21 Egyptian Christians 
and told them to renounce Jesus Christ. They refused to do so and were beheaded on a beach in Libya. In an interview, Archbishop Angelos of the Egyptian Orthodox Church said, Egyptian Christians have long experienced persecution. He said, the interesting thing is we live it with a sense of resilience. But we've never fallen into a state of victimhood or triumphalism. We realize that it is the cross of Christ. It's not the end of the road because there is a resurrection that comes after the cross and the empty tomb. And so it is in that hope that we continue to live. And it's in that hope that we continue to carry that cross, knowing that it will be removed from us. And as he talked to the witness of those men, he, said, he asked, where was the power? In these young men who were kneeling down so honorably, so peacefully, with such resilience and grace? Or in the big men with big swords who had to cover their faces to remain anonymous? And so he said it really changed the understanding of power dynamics. And it showed that at that moment of supposedly weakness and brokenness, the prayer they offered made them infinitely more powerful. Again, we are blessed to live in a country where we are free to practice our faith. The downside is that as Christians, we, we've become comfortable. You know, we've become soft. We moan when minor things don't go our way. We do whatever we can to avoid discomfort, let alone suffering. Where is our zeal for the Lord? Where is our willingness to go the extra mile for the Lord? Where is our willingness to give up our comfort, let alone our lives for the Lord? We have so much to learn from our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. There is a cost to becoming a follower of Jesus, which is why he says becoming a disciple of Jesus means considering the cost. And Jesus gives two illustrations in the passage to, to make his point. In the first, he talks about someone who wants to, to build a tower, maybe a watchtower to uh, uh, cover his, his vineyard. And his question is this, when you first sit down and estimate a cost to see if you have enough money to complete it, if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, having just started to build a pizza oven on my staycation and getting as far as building the foundation, I realize I now face that same ridicule. I should probably have made a better calculation of whether I had the time to finish it. Jesus is saying, don't start what you can't finish. And the reason he's saying that is that the decision to follow Jesus is not something you decide on the spur of the moment. It's not something you do because... Maybe a lot of other people are doing it, or maybe somebody famous, like Kanye West, it says they've become a Christian, and you want to jump on the bandwagon. It's not something you do, you say you don't have to worry what happens to you when you die. My ticket to heaven is guaranteed, now I can continue living my life as I want. To become a disciple of Jesus means your life will change forever, because your priorities will change. It's like getting married. It's important before you get married to, to understand what marriage is all about, to understand who it is you are marrying, and therefore to spend more time preparing for your marriage than your wedding day. I know there's some ridiculous programs on TV, but um, one I saw recently really uh, took the biscuit. It's called Married at First Sight. 
Uh, the producers found couples who agreed to get married without ever having met their other half. First time they would see them would be at the altar. The thing is, as they were interviewed, uh, what became clear was that if, well, if the marriage didn't work, they would just simply get a divorce. Just as you shouldn't decide to get married without weighing up the cost, without knowing who you are marrying, nor should you become a follower of Jesus without weighing up the cost and knowing who Jesus is. The other illustration Jesus gives is of a king about to go to war against another king. Before he goes to battle, Jesus asks, when you first sit down and work out his chances of winning the battle, particularly if he realizes that actually he's half the number of troops of his opposite number, if he realizes that he has no chance of winning, then it'll be foolish to fight, but wiser to ask for terms of peace. Well, if the first illustration was saying, sit down and reckon whether you can afford to follow Jesus, the second one is saying, sit down and reckon whether you can afford not to follow Jesus. In other words, do you really want to go against Jesus? Do you really want to reject his invitation? In the passage we looked at last week, people rejected the invitation of Jesus because they were attracted to, to earthly things. And the result was they missed out on the great banquet and eternity with Jesus. Instead, the least those who had nothing to offer in worldly terms became the greatest. To consider the cost doesn't mean we will be able to see exactly what we will have to go through. It is stepping out in faith, trusting that the blessing of a relationship with God will far outweigh the sacrifice we will have to make in our lives. It is saying, I want to be all in. Devotion to Jesus cannot be less than wholehearted. As someone said, discipleship is not periodic volunteer work on one's own terms and at one's convenience. Those who are willing to lose everything for Jesus, those who are willing to give up everything for him, become the winners. So what is the prize for those who give up everything for Jesus? Well, to lose one's life for Jesus means eternal gain. Going back to chapter 9 again, Jesus says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or their soul? Think of the person you admire most in the world, someone who has everything you would love to have. Maybe it's someone who's loads of money who can afford to do what they want. Maybe it's somebody who's a really successful um, sports person or musician or actor or, or artist. Maybe it's someone who, who's in a position of political power and influence. Maybe it's someone who's just popular, has the most Twitter followers. Would you give up everything you have, including Jesus, for their life? You would effectively gain the world, but you would lose your soul. Or would you rather enjoy eternal salvation, being at one with the God of the universe in a new heaven and a new earth that has none of the pain of this one? We talked about giving up everything for Jesus, but we don't have to be perfect to be saved. Salvation is by grace. Jesus doesn't just call us to make a decision. He calls us into a relationship. We turn to him 
so that he can begin a work of restoration in us. And that work of restoration continues throughout our lives. Do you not want that? Do you really think it's worth focusing on the the short-term pleasures of this life that will be here today and gone tomorrow? If you've already decided to, to follow Jesus, what areas of your life are you still holding on to, valuing more than Jesus? Are there areas where you, you know you're not following his commands in, in the Bible because you don't really trust that he knows what is best for you? Are there situations where you're, you're compromising his truth because you're not prepared to suffer the cost of being a follower of Jesus? Probably for many of us, it's the whole area of popularity. Certainly as, as a pastor, the challenge I constantly face is the temptation to take the path of least resistance, to do what will be more popular rather than what Jesus said is in, in his word he expects his followers to do and he expects his pastors to teach. The reason the church in this country has lost a lot of its influence is because Christian leaders have compromised the truth the truth of God's word, and just followed the values of society. But Jesus' warning, and that passage in chapter 9 is clear. He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. In the words of chapter 14, salt is good, verse 34, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap, but it's thrown out. If you're not convinced that giving up everything for Jesus is worth it, then read a biography of, of a Christian who's done just that. Read uh, about the Apostle Paul's sufferings in 2 Corinthians 12 and how it was in his weakness that he experienced the power of God. Read the story of Jim Elliot. A missionary who was killed by a a tribal group in the Amazon while trying to share the gospel with them. As he wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The losers become the winners. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the wonderful blessings of being a follower of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can gain eternal life. We thank you that we can know what it is to have a a relationship with you, a relationship that will continue into eternity. Lord, we are sorry we are so focused on the short-term gains of this life that we're not willing to, to give them up to follow you wholeheartedly. And so we pray that your spirit would do a work in us to bring us to that decision to to follow Jesus. Or if we've already made that decision, Lord, to continue that work of transformation in our lives, that day by day we will become more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to sing of that now as we... Close with a couple of songs, the first of which is All to Jesus, I Surrender.